be in Matthew chapter 5, and we'll pick up in verse 43 in just a minute. And so go ahead and be opening up to Matthew 5. But then I also want you i want you to keep your uh, place there, stick a bulletin in there, put your bookmark in, piece of gum, your tie, whatever, and turn to the book of Romans chapter 12. So Matthew chapter 5 and Romans chapter 12. And we've finally made it to the end of uh, the first section of the, of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus has set a very high bar for us as Christians. Now remember, he started out with the pathway to blessings. He started out with the, uh, the Beatitudes. And he said, if you want God's blessing in your life, this is the way you need to live. Then he moved on to his relationship to the Law of Moses. And he said, and he's shown uh, that the Law of Moses had its place. It was, it was necessary. It was good. But it was nonetheless deficient. And so he has shown how it's deficient in some ways. Either that or he's taken that law and he's raised it to new heights. For instance, it's not enough just to abstain from bad behavior. It's not enough just to not kill somebody. not enough to just not commit adultery. But we also need to pay attention to the motivations of our hearts. Now what he's going to hit us with today is quite possibly the most succinct and concentrated teaching on the lifestyle of a Christian in the whole Bible. It's his famous teaching on loving our enemies. And essentially, what Jesus is going to tell us is, because, is that the Father sets a perfect example of loving his enemies, of loving people uh, regardless of whether they need it or whether they deserve it or not, and we should mimic him by loving everybody, including our enemies. And, and we do that by blessing instead of cursing, by doing good to them, and by praying for them. So if you found Matthew chapter 5 and Romans chapter 12, I'd like you to stand if you would. We're going to pick up reading in Matthew chapter 5. And after we read this, we're going to turn over to, to Romans, but we'll be in both passages, so make sure you keep your bookmark in both places. And Matthew 5.43 says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore you are to be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now turn over to Romans 12 if you would, and we're going to pick up in verse 14. Now Paul's going to be giving some... Um, kind of some summarizing, uh, some teaching that he's done, and uh, some of this is going to apply to our text today. Verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Thank you. you may be seated. Now, I'm going to approach this text a little bit differently than I usually do. Because you remember back in school, whenever we had to answer those, those uh, investigative questions, who, what, when, where, how, why, uh, we're going to answer some of those questions. And, and I think that as we do that, it's going to help us 
kind of get a picture of what Jesus is saying. The first thing that I want to answer is who. Who is Jesus talking to? Well, the answer to that is pretty simple. If, if you remember from uh, early on in, in this section on the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking to his disciples. Remember, this is what he repeatedly taught uh, his followers to do over and over and over again. And so he's, he's talking to his disciples, people who follow him. He's talking to Christians. Now, that's basic, but it's essential to recognize that fact, and it's, it's essential to recognize that only Christians can truly fulfill this command. And we'll get into that more in, in just a minute. But who, that's who he's talking to. Who is he talking about? He's talking about our enemies. Now, I'm going to give you a newsflash, and maybe you've, never, maybe you've never known this before, so you might get a pen and paper down. Not everybody likes you. That's a newsflash, isn't it? Not everybody likes you. There's probably somebody, and you may even know somebody, who doesn't care anything about you. Now, it's hard to believe. People don't, there are people that don't even like me. And I was as shocked as you whenever I found that out. But you know, that's just the way it is. And Jesus tells us straight up, you're going to have enemies in life. Why? Because if you live like what he's talked about in the Sermon on the Mount, if you live like what he's talked about with the Beatitudes, you're going to ruffle some feathers. You're going to rub some people the wrong way. It's kind of like old Billy Sunday, the old preacher from yesteryear. Somebody accused him of preaching too hard, said it was like rubbing a cat the wrong way. And he said, no, let the cat turn around, and then he'll be getting strokes instead of rubbed the wrong way. And, and it's like that with our lives. If we live like we're supposed to, it's going to rub some people the wrong way. Now, if you look at verse 43, it talks about an enemy. And the, and the word that's used there has the idea behind it of hostility and, and hatred. When it's used in its noun form, it's, the, it's the, the word adversary, the same title that's used of the devil. Now, he's not saying go out and love the devil, but what, but what he's saying is there are going to be people who are opposed to us as Christians, people who are hostile towards us. We shouldn't go out looking for people to hate us. We shouldn't be trying to get people to hate us, but we shouldn't be surprised when it happens. These are people who dislike you, and they are not scared to tell you they dislike you. You know, there are two kinds of people. They're the ones who, who can't stand you, but they don't ever let you know about it. They'll let everybody else know about it, and you're the last to know. There are other people that you're the first to know. As soon, I mean, they, they'll, just, they'll just tell you they can't stand you. So what Jesus is talking about is we as Christians need to know how to treat our enemies. And what does he say to do? Well, he says that we should love them unconditionally. Now, the Jews have been taught, if you'll notice in verse 43, that they were to love their neighbor and hate their enemy. And they were half right. Because the law specifically said in the book of Leviticus, love your neighbor as yourself. That's not something that was original to Jesus. That was an Old Testament law. But the Jews went astray from this in two, in two areas. First, they wanted to restrict who their neighbor was. God says, love your neighbor as yourself. And they said, well, who's my neighbor? That should sound kind of familiar because that's what a, a lawyer said to Jesus in the book of Luke. Because he tried to get Jesus all tripped up, and Jesus says, well, the, what's the law saying all these different things? And so, so then he says, well, who's my neighbor? He's wanting to justify himself. And so Jesus told this parable of the compassionate Samaritan. And the point of that parable is our neighbor is not somebody just like us. See, the Jews, they wanted, to, they wanted the neighbor, they thought the neighbor was somebody that was just like them of Jewish descent. They worship the same God as them. Things like that. And Jesus shows us a neighbor is somebody that God's put in our path that we can show kindness to. Our neighbor is somebody that God puts in our path that we can uh, be a good witness to. That we can be good to. 
See, it's not enough just to love people that are like us. That's easy to do. Isn't that what Jesus is saying? It's not enough to, to love people that have the same skin tone as us. They go to the same type of church as us, who like the same sports teams as us, who are in the same theological camp as us. It's not enough to do that. We must love everybody. And the second place they went astray was in their addition because Jesus said, you've been told, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. The thing was, love your neighbor is in the Bible. Hate your enemy was not. Now, we don't know why they were teaching that. Possibly because as you read through uh, the Old Testament, you get to like the book of Judges and, and Joshua, you know, the conquests of Canaan, and, and you read some of those commands where they're told to go in and wipe out whole villages where God says to them, don't make peace with the Canaanites. Maybe they, they kind of extrapolated from there and said, well, maybe, maybe we're not supposed to have anything to do with anybody that's not a, a, a Jew. It's quite possible they said, well, if we're supposed to love our enemy, the opposite, or love our neighbor, the opposite of a neighbor is our enemy, so the opposite of love should be hate. So maybe they reasoned it out and came up with this wrong addition. Whatever the reason is, that's what they were taught, and Jesus says, you're wrong. That's not what you're to do. You're to love everybody, including your enemies. I want to pause for a moment because I want you to look very carefully at verse, 40, uh, verse 44. He says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The question is, what about our friends and people kind of in between? See, he didn't say, love your friends. He didn't say, love your family. He just says, love your enemies. Is he saying that we really shouldn't love our friends that much? No, that's not what he's saying. Why? Because we already love our friends. We already love our family. That command's already been given. Love your neighbors yourself. I think what he's doing is using enemies as kind of like a bookend. You know, there are those people that are close to us, people that we don't like them, they don't like us, and there's all these people in between. Well, Jesus isn't saying you love your people close to you, even love your enemies, all these people in between be apathetic towards. That's not what he's saying. I think he's using this as a bookend to show the two extremes and everybody in between. See, what he's saying is we should love... Everybody, those who are close and those who are far away, but also everybody in between. Everybody's to be covered, including those far away that are unlovable. So if Jesus is saying you need to love them, we need to figure out what that means. What does it mean to love these people? Well, I've told you this before, but there are all kinds of words in the Greek language for the word love. There's phileo, which is brotherly love. That's where Philadelphia comes from, the uh, the city of brotherly love. There's storge, which is a, a family type love. Then there's agape, which is that uh, that unconditional type love. And we don't get this because we read it in English, but Jesus does not say, have a brotherly type of love for your enemies. Aren't you glad for that? Because we don't really feel real chummy with our enemies most of the time. He doesn't say, uh, don't have a, he doesn't say, have a family type of love because those those things often spring from emotions. We feel love towards those people. But, but you don't always feel lovey towards your enemy. And that's, it's only right for you to, to do that because they may, I mean, your enemy may hate God, may hate you because you stand for God. It would be odd for you to feel brotherly uh, love towards that person. Instead, the word that he uses is the word agape. It's, it's an unconditional love. 
It's a love that doesn't arise from our feelings, but instead it's an act of the will. We choose to, we choose to love these people. It's the type of love that looks out for the well-being of somebody else, whether or not they deserve it or accept it. That's why I said earlier, Christians are the only ones that can truly fulfill this command because, as one commentator put it, people who have experienced God's love understand what it means to be loved undeservedly. We've experienced it, and so we can show it. And that's the type of love that God has for us. He loves us when we don't deserve it. And aren't you glad He does? Because if He just waited, if he waited for us to deserve it before He started showing love, we'd all be going to hell. Jesus never would have come in the first place. And that's what Jesus is calling us to do for our enemies. So how's this going to look? Well, if you're reading the King James, I know some people uh, in the church use the King James. When we read this, you may have seen there were a couple of phrases in the King James that didn't show up in, for instance, the NASB, NIV, uh, ESV, the, the newer translations. And the reason for that is that those phrases don't show up in the oldest uh, manuscripts. But having said that, the same things that, that are... There in, in the KJV version of Jesus' words are actually in Romans chapter 12, which we read as well. So keep your place in Matthew 5 and turn over to Romans 12, if you would. And we're not going to have a lot of time to spend in, in uh, this section because part of it applies to what we're talking about, part of it does not. But the first way that this love is going to look, how is it going to look? The first thing is by blessing. Look at verse 14. Blessing instead of cursing. Blessing instead of cursing. Now, this isn't Paul using Christianese to say something that, other than what he's saying. You know, sometimes we want to say, well, I want to bless them out. No, you probably don't. You probably want to curse them out. Well, that's not what he's talking about. The first way that we show love is by blessing instead of cursing. And this is incredibly practical, but incredibly difficult. When it says to curse, it has the idea of dooming someone. It has the idea of, uh, of strongly criticizing, of expressing loathing, of showing contempt for someone. This is that person, maybe you've, maybe you've run into him, that uses abusive and hurtful language. Maybe, maybe it's with actual curse words, maybe it's something else, but they hate your guts and they'll tell you so, sometimes repeatedly. Now, our natural reaction... Somebody does that to us, what do we want to do? Oh, yeah, well, I know those words, too. And we get right back at them. We, we want to we shoot off at the mouth. But the Bible says, instead, bless them. Yeah, that's like fingernails on a chalkboard, isn't it? The word means to speak well of or to praise. Now, how's this going to look? Let's say somebody is hateful to you. Instead of shooting off at the mouth, be nice to them. How practical is that? Somebody is mean, meaner than a, a junkyard dog. I mean, like to use the old phrase from uh, the Grinch song, like a seasick crocodile, you know. There are some of those people, and when they're mean to you, be nice to them. When they say mean stuff to you, don't say mean stuff back. And then, get this, not only saying mean things to them, but also not saying mean things about them. You ever put up with somebody's stuff, and then as soon as they get away, you're with your friends, and you say, whew, 
Let me tell you what they just told me and what I wanted to say to them. And you tear them down. You say all the things you wanted to say. You just don't have the courage to do it in front of their face. No. Blessing them means that you say nice things to them and nice things about them. Don't have those smart aleck remarks. Don't tear them down. Don't don't, don't, uh, gossip about them. Don't malign them. When I was growing up, I, I heard a phrase. You probably did too. If you don't have something nice to say, what? Don't say anything at all. That's biblical advice. Somebody does something mean, say something nice back to them. And if you can't bring yourself to do it, maybe that you cannot find a single solitary thing that's praiseworthy in them. You just shut up. You just zip it. Bite your tongue. Do something. Grit your teeth. Put some food, healthy food, in your mouth. Otherwise, some of us, we're like chocolate, all right, and then we're going to be like a blimp because we have lots of things we want to say. Listen. If you do that, what's going to happen? You're going to catch some attention. Now, you don't do this for attention, but this is part of being salt and light. It's part of being a good witness because somebody goes to cussing you out, and you, you know, sometimes, sometimes I'll get in trouble, Scarlet, and I'll say, have I told you how nice you're looking today? Now, she knows whenever I say something like that, I'm already in trouble, and so there's no point in me even saying it. Even if, even though it's true every time I do, because she always looks pretty. But there are times, I mean, you can say something sarcastically. Somebody cusses you out and you say, oh, bless you. Now, you don't mean bless. You mean something else, right? Now, there... That's not what he's talking about. If you are truly kind, let's say at work, somebody, I mean, you're on a team with somebody and they are lazy bums, they don't, do, they don't pull their weight, but they did do one good thing. When it comes time to talk to your boss about it and he's asking you about it, you don't take credit for what they did. You say, I mean, you, whether you tell them or not that they're a lazy bum, that's your choice. But I mean, you, you give credit where credit's due. That's, that's blessing them. And when you do stuff like that, if you are, and you say something kind to them when they're being mean to you, you're going to get attention. They're going to say, I didn't get the response I expected. It may make them even madder. They may up the ante a little bit. But, but that's being a good witness. You think that person in the office that hears your coworker just really gripe you out and you respond with kindness? What do you think they're going to say? Whoa. I didn't, I didn't see that coming. I really expected them to, to, to fly off the handle. That's being, a, that's being salt and light. It's going to catch attention because that's not a natural response. And that's the point. The next thing Paul says that we're going to look at, well, he, he counsels us uh, to not repay evil for evil. And I just preached that sermon last week and about not retaliating, so I'm not going to re-preach that sermon. And I got, all God's people said, Amen. Okay, if you didn't catch it, or if uh, you need to hear it again, it's online. You can listen to it when you get home. But he goes beyond that in verse 20. He goes beyond not retaliating. And he goes so far as to say, do good to your enemy. Now, he, he uses a specific example. He quotes out of the book of Proverbs. If your enemy's hungry, give him something to eat. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Very similar thing is said in the book of Exodus, chapter 23. It says, if you see somebody that hates you, and their, their beast has fallen down under load, you don't just walk by and be like, ha, ha. now this is my paraphrase, of course. It's, it's, it, you don't walk by and say, ha, ha, 
their animal is falling down under the load. I'm not going to help them. I'm going to, you know, yes, and, and just keep going. Like seeing your neighbor has a flat tire, somebody's being mean to you, has a flat tire, and just driving by with a smile on your face. That's not what he's talking about. He says, you stop and you help. Don't leave him there. You shall surely help him. In other words, you're doing good to your enemy. As I said last week, you cannot control what your enemy does to you. But you can control what you do to your enemy. You can control how you respond. So again, this would be things like giving credit where credit's due. It's, it's not withholding something from somebody because you're mad at them or because they're mean to you. And then the last thing, turn back to Matthew 5. And Jesus mentioned this very specifically. Pray for them. Pray for your enemies. Notice he does not say pray on them. Big difference. He doesn't, he doesn't say, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father which art in heaven, please smite my enemies. He doesn't say, pray that, that their brakes go out, that you know uh, they fall out of their tree stand while they're deer hunting. Don't pray that God's going to drop a piano on them. Pray for their well-being and their good. Pray for their salvation. Pray for God to change their heart. One author said it this way. He said, we cannot hate a man if we pray for him. We cannot pray for him if we hate him. And I thought that was really good. We can't hate a man if we're praying for him, and we can't pray for him if we hate him. And it's hard to pray for your enemies when they are doing something bad to you. It's hard. And it's hard to not be like, oh, God, just drop the hammer. And Lord, in, in your infinite grace, please let me see it. Please let me have a front row seat. It's hard to not pray stuff like that, isn't it? I mean, that's just real life. But that's, y'all are thinking, I'm just a cardinal, terrible person, aren't you? You're like, oh, I can't believe my pastor's saying that. Hey, that's it. That's what we feel. But Jesus says, no, you need to pray for him. And it's hard to go to God and say, Lord, somebody that's done you wrong, say, Lord, please bless that person. Please change their heart. And Lord, please prosper them. Give and, and, and just pray specific things for them. That's tough. But that's exactly what Jesus says to do. And when you do something like that, listen, it changes you. Because those fires that were raging in your heart, they begin to cool. And often, and this is, this is another dose of reality, if a person really is our enemy, this is probably about all we can do sometimes. Because somebody really is our enemy, saying kind things to them is probably going to be met with more unkindness. Doing kind things to them may make them more uh, more meaner, may, may even bring about abuse of some sort. And so oftentimes, it's good to love them from a distance. We can still pray for them. Because guess what? Prayer is something many of us can do. And they can't stop you. They may say, well, I don't want you to pray for me. And you, you can walk away saying a prayer to God and knowing I'm praying for you and you can't do anything about it. We can all pray. Now, why should we do this? Verse, uh, verse 45. We have a good example. Jesus says, verse 45, um, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven for, here's the reason, he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Field rabbis used to say, 
Have you ever seen that the sun shines on the righteous man's field, not the unrighteous man's? Or the rain falls on the righteous man's field, but not the unrighteous man's field? So I haven't either. God is so good that He blesses everybody, regardless of whether he's, that person is good or evil. And that's some unconditional love, because none of us deserve God's grace. Just the unjust, the sinner, the saint, God does good to all of us. That's unconditional love. And Jesus says, if you want to show some family resemblance, if you want to show that you're a son of the Father, a daughter of the Father, you need to love the same way. And Jesus wraps it up in verse 48 uh, with a very powerful statement. Look again at what he says. He says, Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Talk about a, a big order. This has been explained a couple different ways. Some understand this as uh, a promise more than a precept, that if we will do these things, that we will be acting like the Father. Others see it as, as a goal that we're to reach for, that, that we should strive to be like God in our actions, and, and we know that we're going to fail, but we should have Him as our goal. But I notice in verse 48, when, when you look it up, the word for perfect in the Greek has the idea of maturity. It's, it's the difference between a grown man and a, a small child. It's the difference between, in martial arts, a black belt and a white belt. It's the difference in school between a teacher and a student. Okay, there's, there's maturity there. And so he says, that's, that's what we should, we, we should strive to live in a God-pleasing way. We should strive for maturity, to grow up in Him, and when we do that, it's going to come out in the way that we live. As we draw closer to, to Christ, the more like Christ will act. And as I said last week, this is a very unnatural thing to do, and this, again, that's the whole point. It's something that we must be enabled by God to do because our natural response... See, there are three, and I'm not the one who came up with this, I don't know who was, but it's been noticed that there are three levels of, of life. There's repaying evil for good. Somebody does you something good, and you do something unkind in return. That's unnatural. There's repaying evil for evil and good for good. That's natural. But then there's repaying good for evil. Somebody does something bad, you do something good in return. That's supernatural. Our natural response is somebody does something bad at us, we're going to do something bad to them. Somebody's nice to us, we're going to be nice to them. That's natural, but Jesus says, no, you need to do something higher than that. You need to return good for evil. Supernatural. How do you do that? In three ways. Bless and don't curse. Do good to them. And pray for them. Now in just a moment we're going to have a time of, of invitation. And guess what? You're probably not going to have much of an opportunity to, uh, to go and do something kind to an enemy. Hopefully you don't have any enemies in here. If you do, I guess then would be a good time to, to get things worked out. The quickest way to get rid of your enemies is making your friend. So maybe, maybe you need to make up with somebody here. Uh, you're probably not going to have much of an opportunity to say kind things to them, but you're going to have an opportunity to pray. Today would be a great day to pray for your enemy. And again, not pray in an ungodly way that says, God, I want you to, to smite them but rather I want you to bless them, change their heart, change my heart, 
And it's easy to just talk about enemies in a general sense. Put a name to it. Do you have somebody that you know dislikes you that's your enemy? Pray for them specifically. If you want to know what a perfect example of what this all looks like, just look at Jesus. Look at the cross. Jesus did the ultimate good when people were doing the ultimate bad. He healed a man that was there to arrest him. On the cross, he prayed for his crucifiers. God did good to his enemies. And the Bible says that we're all enemies of God, naturally. But that's what Jesus' death on the cross is all about because those of us who are far off, Jesus says, the Bible says Jesus has brought near. Those of us who are without hope in the world, God has given us hope. And that's through accepting Christ's offer of salvation and, and Him alone. And if you've never done that, Today is a good day for it. Why don't you stand with me as musicians come. And as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I just wonder, is there? do you have an enemy? Maybe if you're talking in Sunday school, you wouldn't classify them out loud as an enemy, but I mean somebody who... Maybe it's somebody in your work, hostile to you and your faith, mocks you. Maybe somebody in your family does that. Maybe it's somebody in, in a church somewhere you've been a part of and they've acted ugly. Who is your enemy? Maybe you say, Pastor, at this point, I don't know of anybody that's my enemy. If you have peace, <laughs> that's something to thank God for. But for that person that's wronged you, even now, I'd encourage you to pray for that person. Pray for them by name. Maybe you're at a point where you can't bring yourself to pray something good for them. Pray that God would do His will in their lives. If nothing else, that's a good prayer. Let your kingdom come, your will be done in